Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. It's football. I've been watching it for 40 years. Are you kidding me? You're listening to Winning Cures Everything. Game day, baby. Wake up or get out. Here's your host. A confident young man. A superb athlete. Gary Seegers. Welcome in. Winning Cures Everything. It is the Sunday, November 13th edition of the show. It is week 11 reaction time. Hopefully everybody's having a good Sunday morning, wherever you are in this great, great world. we got a lot to talk about. Of course, it is time to get into conference championship discussion. And we have got uh, a lot of these games already figured out, but there are still a lot. That, but we still got two weeks. we got things to discuss. I am your host, by the way, Gary Seegers. Uh, you see it on the screen if you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening on the podcast. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at GaryWCE. The show is brought to you each and every time out by BetUS. It is America's premier online sports book. It's America's favorite sports book since 1994. That's right, they've been doing this for a very, very long time. They know what they're doing, fast payouts, all that good stuff. Go check them out at BetUS.com. Also, I host the BetUS College Football Show every Tuesday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Hopefully, you have joined us over there so far this season. Uh, hopefully, you did not tell my picks this past week because... Holy mackerel, was it bad. I mean, it it got real, real rough last week. I will tell you that. Um, let's look at, uh, before we begin the game discussions, let's go ahead and uh, da, 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 da. let's look at what we've got for the conference championship matchups thus far. And I'm going to go on and put it up on the screen so that you can actually see it. Let's uh, Let's dive into it there. Okay, here's what we're looking at. The SEC, Georgia, and LSU have wrapped up. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. The Big 12, TCU, wrapped up their spot last night with a win over Texas. And the, I guess, Kansas State is going to be who they play, but uh, we still got two weeks left. Anything could happen at that point. The ACC, North Carolina, and Clemson have wrapped up their divisions respectively. The Big 10, it, it comes down to Ohio State against Michigan for the East. And the other side is just a complete mess. We're going to talk about what happened with Purdue and Illinois in just a bit. The Pac-12... After last night, a complete and utter debacle. I mean, just ridiculous. The AAC, Tulane took their first loss in the conference. Uh, I mean, it's just kind of, UCF owns the tiebreaker over Cincinnati and Tulane at this point. No clue what, what we're going to get there. The Mountain West, again, no clue. Uh, the Sun Belt, Coastal Carolina, looks like they have pretty much wrapped up their spot. Uh, there's still two games left, but it, they, they own tiebreakers in that division, so I would imagine that they are set. And then it's either Troy or South Alabama. 
the MAC is Toledo against, I think it's probably going to be Ohio, but again, we still got multiple games. And Conference USA, UTSA, not fully wrapped yet, but we're getting there. We're getting there. Uh, as it says on the tweet, these last two weeks are going to be awesome. Absolutely awesome. Whew, what a week of college football. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and dive into it. Let's talk about what happened in the week that was. Washington 37, Oregon 34. That's right. We're going to start off with Pac-12 talk. And let's pull up the stats. Let's look at what we got going on here. Washington, 55 plays run. Oregon, 78. That's right. That's right. Uh, the kicker, Peyton Henry, hit that game-winning field goal with 51 seconds left. He is the same kicker that in 2018 missed the overtime kick in, in 2018 to lose to Oregon 30-27. to So he has been waiting to get back to this spot. He's been there for, I mean, since 2018. This has been a very long time. So cheers to him for getting that done. Uh, Pennix. Uh, the game, not the game winning, but the game tying touchdown, 62 yards with 3.07 left. At that throw, after throwing the goal line interception earlier in the fourth quarter, uh, and that drive by Oregon was just, uh, the the drive from Oregon was awesome, right? Like, they, they were fantastic on that drive. I mean, it was like, what, 19 plays, and then they had to settle for a field goal? It was... I mean, what are we doing? Like, they, they showed, hey, we can be explosive, but hey, we can also, like, kill a, kill the game with a drive like this. But the only way that you kill the game is if you actually get into the end zone. And they beat themselves with penalties, et cetera. Let's look at uh, yards per play. Let's look at total yards, et cetera. We, we know that neither of these defenses is great, right? Uh, both teams had a turnover. Uh, you look at the total yards, 592 for Oregon to 522 for Washington. Uh, Oregon had nine more first downs, 32 to 23. Uh, Washington, 9.491 yards per play. Oregon, 7.59. That's a huge, huge discrepancy there. Uh, Yards per rushing attempt, Oregon by a full yard. Yards per pass, Washington by nearly two yards. 11.7 yards per pass for Washington. I mean, just awesome. Uh, Michael Penix had an absolutely fantastic day. Uh, PPA per play was really close. Oregon had the upper hand there. Success rate, uh, pretty close. Oregon had the upper hand. Both were over 50%. So that's a pretty good day. Standard down success? Uh, Yeah, Oregon stayed ahead of the change. Big time, 65% there. But when it came to passing downs, when you got behind the sticks a little bit, Washington, 69% there. Let's go on and pull up uh, the, you know, stat broadcast. Let's look at what we got. Bo Nix, 19 out of 27, 280 yards, two touchdowns. Oregon ran the ball 51 times for 312 yards. That's 6.1 per clip. I mean, it, they, they were able to handle it on the ground. They didn't have to have Bo Nix. Uh, the turning point in this game really might have been when Bo Nix went out injured and they had to run Ty Thompson. Uh, they went for it on fourth down, thought they'd be able to run and get it. But, man, when you've got Ty Thompson in there and he hasn't done anything, you know that the coaching staff is not just going to let him wing it. So the Washington defense was able to load up the box. And in doing that, they were able to get the stop. But it wasn't necessarily that. It, the, this is the issue with going forward on fourth down and whatnot is you never know what's going to happen. That kid went and tried to plant, and his foot slipped out from under him. So there was a Washington defender right there, but he was going to fall down in the backfield anyway. So you don't get the fourth down. Uh, Washington doesn't have to go far to get that game-winning kick. It's It was... It was weird. It was weird to see Oregon because they had been so dominant. And Washington had certainly been beatable, right? That defense is just not great. But I got to tell you, cheers to Kalen DeBoer. Uh, that guy wins everywhere he goes. It was it was awesome to see this. Uh, just a, a really, really strong effort. Michael Penix, by the way, 26 out of 35, 408 yards, Two touchdowns. He did have the one interception down there at the goal line. Uh, McMillan, eight receptions, 122 yards. Uh, you had uh, Romo Dunes, uh, six receptions, 56 yards. I mean, this this bunch was awesome. This this was this was such a fun game, and it's such a good rivalry in the Pac-12. This is the kind of game that you need uh, going forward in the Pac-12, and it was nice to see it you know, actually live up to the hype a little bit. So this this was a lot of fun. You see the win probability there. Uh, both of these teams, 
Yeah, green is good. Purple is bad. You can see it on the screen there. EPA per play, both of them really good. Success rate, both really good. Yards per play, both really good. Da, 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 da. Um, Washington, not a not a great explosive play rate, but it didn't necessarily matter. They were able to move the ball on this Oregon defense. Uh, neither team could stuff the run, <laughs> and neither team created a lot of havoc. Uh, so that is the way that it goes. But you look at the expected points, et cetera, uh, Oregon, I mean, just their EPA total was like 23.31. Washington's ended up 22.94. Just fun. Just fun. So great job by both of these teams for putting on an incredibly entertaining ball game. I was, I, I loved it. I loved everything about this. So cheers to Washington for getting that win and for mucking up the, the Pac-12 race a little bit because uh, we're going to have to come down to the last couple of weeks. We're going to have to get it figured out. All right, we're moving along. Let's move to TCU and Texas. TCU gets the win 17-10 to in Austin. The Longhorns. Uh, that was, I, I mean, just bleh. Um, B. Sean Robinson touched the ball 10 times in this game. Or didn't touch the ball 10 times. He, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He ran the ball 10 times. Let's pull up the box score so you can see what we're talking about. Uh, 12 times, not 10, excuse me. 12 carries for 29 yards here. And why you don't just run him more and, and try and get it figured out, especially when Quinn Ewers is having an off night, this is not the game that we expected, right? I mean, this was, I don't even know what to think of this. Uh, like it, maybe it was a Joe Gillespie masterpiece. And maybe it was, you know, uh, Pete Kwiatkowski. I can't remember how to say his name. Uh, Pete, the defense coordinator for Texas. Maybe both of them just knew what was going on. Gary Patterson, of course, helped with the game plan. But 17-10 to 10 is not what you would have expected, especially the only touchdown for Texas being a defensive one. Did not expect that. Not in the slightest. Uh, Max Duggan in this game, 19 out of 29 for 124 yards and one touchdown. Kendra Miller, 21 carries, 138 yards. He did have the 75-yarder. Uh, but that's what happens when you keep running it, right? It, like, Bijan Robinson had 12 carries for 29 yards. His long was nine. Well, Kendra Miller ran the ball nine more times and broke off a 75-yarder. You got to keep going at it because you know that that is the weakness of the TCU defense. Teams have been able to run on them. So, uh, let's uh, let's move off of that. Let's look at the actual stats for the ballgame. TCU ran 72 plays to 61. Both teams did have a turnover. Texas, of course, the defensive touchdown. I mentioned total yardage, 283 to 199. Texas had less than 200 total yards in this. 82 Atlantic jumps in, says, how did Vegas have TCU as the underdog in the game? Uh, that's easy. When you look at at the actual stats and whatnot, one, TCU has played like a ton of backup quarterbacks, so you have to kind of readjust exactly what their defensive stats are. TCU's defensive stats were not good. They just weren't. Texas, whenever Quinn Ewers has been healthy, has certainly been able to take advantage of other teams. Uh, Some of the losses could be explained. Obviously, the loss to Alabama, you lose by one point. It is what it is. Quinn Ewers went out in that game. Texas Tech, you lose that game in overtime, uh, but you didn't have Quinn Ewers, right? You lose the game to Oklahoma State, but they were up early. They lost late. There were some turnovers that you can't really predict, et cetera. It's, there were ways to certainly see why Texas uh, should have won this game, should have been favored in this game, right? But you look at this. Neither team hit 50% on standard down success. Neither team, like TCU, 36% success rate in this one to Texas, only 26%. Uh, the PPA per play, like a predicted points added per play was actually negative for both teams. I mean, just just ridiculous. Yards per pass, Texas was 4.4 to 4.3. Uh, TCU yards per rush was 3.6. Uh, Scotty jumps in, unavailable or unbelievable how both Texas and Texas A&M have all those highly rated players but don't have much to show for it. It, it is a debacle. I'm, I don't even have A&M to talk about on today's show, but... When Jimbo Fisher is getting mentioned in the same sentences as Mike Dubose, you know things are not going well. Uh, when he is getting outcoached by Cadillac Williams, yeah, it's not good. It's I, I can't even, like, that thing is in a tailspin there. Uh, with Texas, it's kind of the same thing. It's like you know that the talent's there, and you know that they have got dudes that are, this is a more talented team than what TCU has. And yet, they're just not very well coached. 
uh, this was a debacle from the word go. Uh, TCU, 19 out of 29 passing. Texas was 17 out of 39. They couldn't get out of their own way. I wrote down uh, that this might have been a Joe Gillespie masterpiece. That's the TCU defensive coordinator. Uh, Still, in my opinion, the best hire of the offseason. Not even close. Uh, Sonny Dykes going and getting Tulsa's defensive coordinator, he was what made... You see what Tulsa's turned into without him. Like, that guy is a schemer. He knows, and no, the defensive stats have not been great for TCU, but I'm telling you, that bunch, like, they they needed. They needed Joe Gillespie at Tulsa, and they certainly are doing wonderful things with him at TCU. His adjustments at halftime every single week are just awesome. I mean, this is, this is a lot of fun. A lot of fun. So, yeah, uh, red zone success rate, neither was very good. Uh, TCU, 50% defensive run stuff rate. That's awesome. Uh, but at the same time, like, if you're Texas, you've got to keep running the ball. This was this was crazy. But TCU gets it done. They do what they got to do, especially on the road. Uh, this team is a lot of fun to watch. A lot of fun to watch. They're able to break out some uh, some fun plays. I I was happy. I was happy with the uh, with the result. So, cheers to TCU getting that done. This team is uh, a lot to reckon with. Um like Texas, you know, five tackles for loss, five sacks. TCU only had two uh, TFLs and two sacks. Uh, this is what a crazy, crazy game. And TCU now sitting there at 10-0. and Got two games left before the Big 12 title game. Just awesome. Just awesome to think about. Moving along to the next one here. And I've got a lot of games I want to hit this morning, so that's, that's why we're moving along quickly. LSU. Gets a win over Arkansas, 13-10. to And let me go ahead and pull up the stats for you so you can see exactly what we're talking about here. LSU only ran 65 plays. Arkansas ran 68. Both teams had two turnovers. LSU won a ball game where they had less than 300 total yards of offense. Had 278 to be exact. You look at Arkansas, seven tackles for loss, seven sacks. Same for LSU, five uh, tackles for loss, five sacks. The passing down success rate for LSU was 10%. When they got behind the sticks, they did nothing with it. Their standard down success was less than 50%, but it was still higher than what Arkansas was able to do uh, without K.J. Jefferson. Uh, Harold Perkins is the dude. Let me talk about Harold Perkins right quick. Apparently, Brian Kelly said that this was his flu game. He had flu symptoms. He threw up before the game, all that kind of mess, right? Which, how, how odd... Indifferent. This is not to make it political, but uh, just a couple of years ago, if anybody had had any kind of symptoms like that, they would have been held out of the game. They would have had to test everybody in the facility before they allowed the game to start, like all that kind of mess, right? Now he's got the flu, but he plays anyway. It, it kind of kind of strange how we treat different things in this country. Harold Perkins Jr. Two forced fumbles, four sacks, eight tackles. He was in the backfield all day for LSU. He is the difference in this LSU team. Matt House has figured out exactly what to do with this kid, and that is let him go. Just sick him. Go after the quarterback. Like, and that's what he does. He is in the backfield relentlessly. And that little thing that he did on the sideline where he, he did the strip sack of Malik Hornsby, where he chases Hornsby down. And Hornsby is one of the fastest players in this country. And he chased him down from behind and ripped the ball out. And LSU recovered, gave him a short field. Ended up with points. That was a play. That kid is the difference in why LSU is good now and they weren't earlier in the year when he wasn't playing. Bottom line. So let's get back to the stats here. Arkansas, 243 yards, and that was with Cade Fortner and Malik Hornsby both at quarterback. They just could not get very much going. Yards per rush, Arkansas only 3.574. That's because LSU was able to stack the box. They they knew that Arkansas was not going to be able to do much throwing the football. Rushing attempts in this game, uh, 51 (laughs) for LSU and 46 for Arkansas. So LSU threw the ball 65, or sorry, sorry, they ran 65 plays. They... uh, they threw the ball 15 times. So those numbers don't add up. I, I got to figure out what my what my code is pulling. But regardless, 51 rushing attempts out of 65 plays. I mean, what are we talking about? Like <laughs> just unbelievable. Um 
in Arkansas. Like, only threw the ball 22 times. This was a cold game. It was an early game. All that kind of mess, right? Uh, Scotty jumps in. Haven't seen a defensive player like this since Lawrence Taylor was causing pain and suffering. Yeah, every this. I'm telling you, from a linebacker perspective, because he's not a defensive end, right? He's built differently than Will Anderson. But those two guys are just brutal. Like, they, they are terrifying to see. Harold Perkins legitimately may have won LSU the West this year. He is the reason why they were able to get such good stops against Ole Miss. He is the reason why they were able to slow down Alabama's offense. He is the reason why they shut down Arkansas. This was the perfect letdown spot. And this is what Brian Kelly teams are known for. You go and beat the teams that you're supposed to beat, and you don't have to beat them by a sizable margin. You just win and advance. That's what you do. Like, it's very easy. Uh, looking at some of the numbers here as far as the stats go, uh, Jaden Daniels, 8 of 15 for uh, 86 yards. He did have the one interception. Uh, Williams, the former walk-on, 19 carries, 122 yards, and one touchdown. He is an absolute beast. I love watching this kid play running back. He is so good. So, so good. Um, Keishon Butte, 49 yards receiving. He had four receptions. Malik Neighbors, two for 24. Like, they are getting the wide receivers involved again, and that is certainly a good thing. Uh, props to the LSU defense for not letting Rocket Sanders get going. Only 12 attempts, 46 yards, and I understand that LSU is basically living in the backfield, um, but you gotta you got to find something more to do with, with Rocket Sanders there. Uh, he did have... Um, Two passes for zero yards. Um, one was negative two. One was two. You know, so they they could not find a way to get Rocket Sanders going. And without that, uh, Fortin like did have the one long touchdown pass. But outside of that, they just they got nothing going. So props to LSU for being able to get that thing done because that was a prime upset spot, prime upset spot for them. And they uh, and they didn't let it happen. Didn't let it happen. Moving along. Let's go ahead and discuss uh, the the game that actually won LSU the West. Not just them winning, but also LSU going down. Or excuse me, Ole Miss going down. Alabama 30, Ole Miss 24. Ole Miss ran 12 more plays. Here, we're going to pull it up on the screen so you guys can see what we're talking about. Ole Miss ran 79 plays to only 67 for Alabama. Ole Miss had 403 total yards to 317 for Bama. Ole Miss had more first downs, 22 to 18. Ole Miss had more yards per play, 5.1 to 4.7. They had more yards per rush. They had more yards per pass. They did not have more PPA per play. That is predicted points added per play. Uh, They had a higher success rate. They had a higher standard down success rate. But in the money spots, it came down to Bryce Young, and he was able to make some plays on uh, third downs when they were behind the chains. Uh, Both of these teams were 0 for 1 on fourth down, by the way. Uh, Alabama, seven and a half tackles for loss. Byron Young just lived in the backfield for Alabama. It's amazing what this Crimson Tide team can do whenever they actually play uh, multiple defensive linemen in the game. Uh, Byron Young has gotten to play quite a bit, but they they really let him go after it this week. Um, Let's see. Let's pull up the defense here. Young had 11 tackles, six of them solo, two sacks, two tackles for loss, one pass breakup, two quarterback hurries, and one forced fumble. Bryce Young is a dude. Uh, the matchup in this game that Ole Miss tried to take advantage of was Terrion Arnold. Uh, Eli Ricks went out. Uh, he, he's injured. So Terrion Arnold, who was a safety in high school, he was the guy that Ole Miss picked on, and they were able to have uh, quite a bit of success on him. Uh, so, yeah, there were, there were spots where Ole Miss was taking advantage of of Alabama in this game. Jackson Dart finished 18 out of 31, which I was a little bit surprised that they threw the ball 31 times. They did run at 49. Uh, They were only getting 3.9 yards per carry. Quinshaw Judkins, uh, by the way, the freshman, 25 carries, 135 yards, uh, two touchdowns. He averaged 5.4. There were very few linebackers on Alabama's team that could actually tackle Quinshaw Judkins, you know, man up. Uh, That dude is an absolute beast. He is awesome. Looking at this, I this this was a game that I was really shocked to see. Uh, I wrote down, Bama was outgained by nearly 100 yards. It was another final possession game. 
And if you had told me that Alabama's defense was going to be able to get a stop to win the game, I don't know that I would have believed you. Because this was this was surprising, right? Just a, a great win by Alabama. Um, and Lane Kiffin afterwards, I mean, his press conference, where everybody was, you know, Judkins had a great day. You know, you're right there. Uh, how's everybody feeling? And he just said, stop, this is crap. We didn't win the ball game. It's not good enough to get close. You know, it, it may have been good in the past here, but, like, we're here to win every game. We're here to beat Alabama, and we didn't do it. Like, he he looked like a guy that had, like, he knew that he had Alabama on the ropes, and he let him escape. That's what it looked like. So, it was uh, it was rough to see Kiffin do that. Um, I tweeted out on Friday, I think it was, I think Kiffin's going to be the next coach at Alabama. Um and this did nothing to dissuade me from that. Uh, his teams are tough. They are not the most talented. But I this this was a fantastic ball game. Uh, I was I didn't know what to expect out of Alabama in this one. Uh, not at all because I we, they haven't been in this position since like 2010. Like coming off of a game that they lost where they no longer have a shot at the national championship, and they know it, and yet they still played up to a standard. This was. I don't believe this Alabama team is well coached, but they rose up today. Oh, another interesting part about this, uh, Jameer Gibbs went out early, kind of had like a little bit of a, I don't know if it was a stinger or what it may have been. Um, Looking at the stats here, Jameer Gibbs ran the ball six times for three yards and did not touch the field again, I think after like early second quarter. Uh, And yet the report from the sideline was, He's available to go back in the ballgame. But he never went back in. So, who knows what's going on there, but Jace McClellan got the majority of the carries, 19 carries for 84 yards. His long was only 12. So, those 4.4, like, he was he was really doing it. Like, he really worked hard. Um, yeah, three yards per carry. This There's something up with this offensive line. There's something up with the... And the defensive line, when you actually play multiple defensive linemen, is uh, is okay, I guess. Uh, but there's still a lot of things that need to be fixed with this Alabama team, and yet they were able to get the win, even on the road, which, by the way, uh, not so many penalties in this game. Uh, I was hoping maybe I could I could find the actual penalties, and I didn't. Da, 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 da. Uh, they don't have it on here. Uh, but it was not many. It was not many for Alabama at all. Yeah, I don't see it. I don't see it. I'll find it later. Oh, there we go. There we go. All right. Uh, Alabama, five penalties in the ballgame. That's a change, right? Is it just because the Ole Miss crowd wasn't loud? I doubt it. Like, something happened. Something happened here. But, yeah, three offensive penalties and two defensive. So, you got a pass interference and a face mask, which, whew, that face mask was brutal. Um, But, yeah, delay of game, holding, and legal touch pass. So, no false starts, no, you know, nothing crazy. Very, very interesting. Uh, let's talk about this one right quick, and then we're going to take a break. Um, UCF 38, Tulane 31. Tulane, credit to them, continued fighting, kept coming back, because they were down at one point, I believe, 31 to 14. They found a way to keep this thing close. But the bottom line is when when John Reese Plumley or John Rice Plumley, however he's at, Rice, Reese, whatever, Plumley, whenever Plumley plays, especially against AAC competition, He's the best player on the field. He just is. He's not a great passer, and we understand that. But look, uh, when you look at his stats, this guy, here we go, 17 out of 30 passing for 132 yards, one touchdown. But where he makes the difference is 18 carries for 176 yards. This is the Gus Malzahn offense. It is a beautiful disaster each and every week. Uh, UCF is now sitting with two losses uh, only one of which is in the AAC. But now uh, Tulane, UCF, and Cincinnati all have one loss in the AAC. Houston's still sitting back there with two losses. SMU has two losses. Uh, East Carolina has three. There's This is a, a mess as far as who is going to actually win the AAC. But let's talk about UCF right quick. Harvey had 12 carries for 83 yards. Isaiah Bowser, 19 carries for 54 yards. They had 54 carries for 336 yards on that two-lane front seven. 
averaged 6.2 yards per carry, and they had four touchdowns. That is the difference in the game. Just bottom line, they were more physical, they were the more talented team, and you could tell it early. They ran 84 plays to only 65 for Tulane. Tulane had two turnovers and was still able to come back in this ballgame, which is kind of surprising. Um, This was, you know, 468 total yards to 391. UCF had nine more first downs, had 30 to 21. Um, They had more yards per rush attempt, like all these things. And Tulane was still able to put themselves in a fight here. Uh, The success rate, UCF 45%, standard down success rate. They stayed ahead of the chains 49%, 49.21%. This was great. Uh, They had two sacks. UCF did. Um, Tulane had no sacks. They had four tackles for loss. Uh, UCF had four quarterback hurries, and that certainly put Michael Pratt behind the eight ball. Tulane, you knew it was coming eventually, or at least you thought it would, because of the way that the team has looked in in multiple spots. Uh, But this was, I don't think they expected this at home from UCF. Right at UCF, it, they they have their they have their spots where they haven't been great. Right? Especially you look at what they did at East Carolina. The biggest difference here is the fact that UCF did not turn the football over. Like Plumlee came back from concussion protocol after a couple of weeks and did not turn the ball over. That's how they were able to win this ball game. And so they, I mean, they really controlled it from from the word go. They, they were up, I think, seventeen to seven in the first quarter. Like, this was, this was absolute, yeah, 17-7 after the first. Uh, they put up another touchdown in the third while Tulane only had, you know, the field goal. And, uh, and then Tulane scores two touchdowns in the fourth. It was, it was really something to see. Michael Pratt, by the way, 23 out of 39 passing, 236 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, Tajay Spears, eight carries for 130 yards. He averaged 16.3 yards clip. Like, this dude was awesome. And yet, it was not enough. It was not enough. You needed that UCF turnover. You didn't get it. And that's the way it goes. That is the way it goes. UCF in the driver's seat in the AAC right now. They are probably going to be the highest ranked group of five team in this next CFP rankings. Not that any of that necessarily matters, but regardless, here we are. All right, let's hit this break. On the backside, we are going to talk about the Big Ten West and the disaster that ensued from Purdue's win and Iowa's win and, uh, and, hey, we're going to talk about bowl-eligible UConn right after this. Let's check out some things you should know about. College football is back, and BetUS TV has you covered. Every Tuesday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we've got expert game analysis to help you make informed decisions before kickoff, only on the BetUS TV College football channel. Visit winningcureseverything.com to find everything you need to know about us, including full shows in video or podcast form, gambling picks, merch, the gear we use, and more. If you want more content from me, Gary, visit betustv.com. I host the How to Gamble on Sports Show and, from August through January, the BetUS College Football Show. You can subscribe to both on YouTube. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or whatever's your favorite podcast app. And if your app allows it, leave a five-star written review. Visit the Winning Cures Everything web store to get all kinds of football shirts, hats, hoodies, mugs, and more. Visit winningcureseverything.com slash store to see what all we've added. And now, back to the show. All right, let's get back to it. First off, I want to tell you about Valtimary Surf Company. That's right, these guys are a clothing apparel company, and they do collegiate town shirts. So, like, for example, I have two shirts, the Tuscaloosa Surf Company. Fantastic. Fantastic stuff. Go and check them out and just do yourself a favor. The material is great. The fabric is super comfortable. I love the designs here. You can get 10% off of your order by using Gary10, G-A-R-Y-1-0. That'll give you 10% off your order. Uh, but you go and check it out, valtimarysurfco.com. There is a link in the description. Go ahead and check that out. All right, moving forward. Let's start off with this one in the Big Ten West. Oh, boy. Purdue 31, Illinois 24. And let's pull up the stats. Let's see what we got here. 74 plays for... Purdue to only 63 for Illinois. Both teams had a turnover. 
Purdue had, uh, you know, 75 more yards, whatever it is, 379 to 303. Uh, they had seven more first downs. They had uh, more yards per play. They had more yards per rush. Illinois, surprisingly, had more yards per pass, but that probably had something to do with the fact that they only threw the ball 32 times. This was not what was supposed to happen. But when you really look at it, when you really break down this, uh, this Illinois defense and what they've been able to accomplish this year, I think Aiden O'Connell is the best quarterback that they have faced. Even though Purdue has not been great this season, even in weather, etc., Aiden O'Connell was 25 out of 40 for 237 yards and three touchdowns and one interception. Um, Maccabee had, you know, 28 carries for 106 yards rushing against that Illinois defense. That was shocking to me. Uh, this was just, a, you know, hey, hey, how about dual threat Aiden O'Connell, by the way? Two rushes for 33 yards in this one, and they were very important. Of course, they had the one 24-yarder. This team was able to take advantage of the middle of the field with Payne Durham. Seven receptions, 70 yards, two touchdowns. And you look over at what Tommy DeVito did in this, and 18 out of 32, 201 yards, one touchdown. They they were not... They were Both teams were 5 out of 13 on third down. Um, but it seemed like Illinois just kept getting in their own way. 12 penalties for 121 yards. Uh, Purdue only had 6 for 80. Like, it just 120 yards of penalties. And it, it just killed drives. Like, that's 100% what ended up happening here. You look at the win probability, and somewhere in there around play, like 113, 114 is when this thing flipped. And Illinois, not able to get it done. Purdue mucks this whole thing up, right? Because now you've got a four-way tie at the top of the standings. And and I probably need to pull this up, but we'll, we'll talk about... We'll talk about this other game first, but I do want to bring up uh, the Big Ten West standings because, man, it, it is—it's a disaster. I mean, who knows what's going to end up happening here? Um, all right, let's talk about this one right quick because we got to rush through some of these if we want to be able to get it all done. Iowa twenty-four, Wisconsin ten. I thought Wisconsin would find a way to win this ball game because I did not trust Iowa's offense. I was mistaken on that bottom line on it let's uh let's scroll it down and and you can see what we saw uh 68 plays on offense for Iowa they only had one turnover Wisconsin had three I thought that the team that you would have an issue with turning the football over was going to be Iowa because I thought that Graham Mertz had kind of figured it out a little bit once Jim Leonard took over and I should have lost I, I should not lost I should have known that Graham Mertz will always have that in him, right? Total yards in this game, Wisconsin had 227. Iowa's offense won the game with only 146 total yards. Now, Iowa did have the one defensive touchdown. That certainly helped things out. Um, but 45 rushing attempts for Iowa on only 68 plays. Like, they they didn't do a whole lot, but they... I'll tell you this, 14 out of 23 for Spencer Petras ain't bad. That's not awful compared to what at some of the games that he's had this year. Um, Wisconsin had a better PPA per play. But Iowa, a better success rate overall. They had by 8%, by the way, 32% to 24. Better standard down success. They were able to stay ahead of the chains, and Wisconsin was not. Passing down success was negligible, even though Wisconsin, you know, had a lead there, 17 to uh, to 15%. 11 tackles for loss for the Badgers defense. Six sacks in this game. Iowa had three quarterback hurries, three and a half sacks, eight and a half tackles for loss. This was a disaster as far as an offensive perspective. But when you look at what these teams were able to do, I mean, Graham Mertz with the two interceptions, just killers. Uh, 82 Atlantic jumps in. Do you think Jim Leonard keeps the head coaching job? I think they want him to have the head coaching job. But it is really tough to sell right now. Um, And you did mention Brett Bielema just lost Big Ten Coach of the Year award after the past two weeks. He still can play into it. Uh, because they still exceeded expectations. But I think he needed to win the Big Ten West. And I don't know that he can do that uh, because they have to play Michigan this coming up week. So, I mean, who knows? Um, I mean, who do you give it to in the Big Ten? 
Like, is it another Harbaugh year, or do you give it to Ryan Day for, you know, maybe going undefeated if they beat Michigan? Like, I don't know. I don't know what you do. Maybe you just give it to Brian Ferentz for actually coming up with something on offense after a disastrous couple of, you know, first weeks, uh, six weeks, whatever that was. Just uh, just brutal. Just brutal. At this this ball game, of course, makes us... Uh, here, we'll move off of that game, and let's talk about this. Uh, but, by the way, congrats to Iowa. I mean, just finding a way to get it done. They are now 6-4 and four on the season, but they are in a four-way tie for first place in the Big Ten West. 4-3 and three for Illinois, 4-3 and three for Iowa, 4-3 and three for Purdue, 4-3 and three for Minnesota. Purdue has wins over Illinois and Minnesota. Uh, Illinois has a win over Iowa and Minnesota. Purdue has a win over Illinois, of course. Uh, Iowa, um, yeah. I mean, I think Illinois holds the majority of the tiebreakers here. But if they lose next week, then what do you get, right? And I, I, I got to dive into this a little more. I didn't have time before the ball or before the. Uh, I was going to say before the ball game, before the show. But yeah, this is. I, I don't know what's going to end up happening. <laughs> I got no idea, uh, but it is. It's up in the air. You got two seven and three teams, and you got two six and four teams. What a what a debacle! What a debacle the Big Ten West really is. Um, let's move ahead. Let's talk. Hey, I gotta I gotta bring this up. We gotta talk about this here. I, let me let me write down the time because this is this is awesome. Jim Mora Jr. led UConn to a thirty six to thirty three win over Liberty who only had one loss on the season, and it was a one-point loss that they did not get a two-point conversion that would have won them the game at Wake Forest. Liberty just got done beating Arkansas, the same Arkansas that took number 7 LSU to a three-point game. They they beat Arkansas last week in Fayetteville. And this is what you had happen. LSU, LSU, God bless. Liberty ran 20 more plays they had 150 more yards of total offense. They had 14 more first downs. They had nearly a full yard per play more. They had a full yard per rush more in this game. Both teams had two turnovers. Uh, Liberty had more yards per pass. Um, <laughs> 82 Atlantic. Hugh Freeze just disqualified himself from the Auburn job after losing to UConn. I, I don't know about that. Uh, look. I will tell you this. All of these stats actually do line up for a Liberty win, right? And they just were not able to fully take advantage uh, in this spot. Yeah, you look at the drive charts. They had a field goal uh, inside the UConn 20. They had another field goal inside the UConn 20. Uh, Turnover on downs, turnover on downs. They threw an interception in UConn territory. Uh, they fumbled the ball. They it, it was you know, and in UConn when they had their opportunities, you know, touchdown, 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 and of course we'll go back over here and you can see, um, they were able to, they were able to take advantage. Like UConn was was really good and really really efficient in this game. Now, Liberty was down. Day-Day Hunter, the, the dynamic running back, and then his backup. So both of their uh, their top two running backs were gone. They were down multiple linebackers. They had one that was ejected for a targeting call kind of early. They had another one that went out injured. They were already down two of them, so you're down your top four linebackers as well. It's still no excuse for what happened here, but we're not going to make it about Liberty. Liberty has had some really good moments this year. We know that they've got a fantastic coach, etc., UConn, on the other hand, what they were able to do, Turner, 15 out of 21 passing, 103 yards, one touchdown, one pick. They ran the ball 38 times for 208 yards with three touchdowns. Five and a half yards per carry on this. Uh, Burns ran 11 times for 104 yards. His long was 58, so he averaged out to almost 10 yards per carry. This was fun to watch. This was just fun. Um, Liberty's two turnovers turned into uh, 14 points, I believe, for UConn. And it was only seven the other way around, if I'm not mistaken. This is fun to see. UConn was a disaster 
And a lot of people thought that the Jim Mora Jr. hire was a disaster. And they've had injury after injury after injury this year. And he's found a way to build that team together. And to pull them together, and they have found a way to get to a, well, at least to bowl eligibility. And as it sits right now, I think if you go look at the standings, look at the actual records, there's not enough bowl teams this year. So there's going to be a lot of five and sevens, which means UConn being at six and six means that they are going to get into a bowl game. And this is awesome. This team is efficient. They take advantage of every opportunity that is thrown their way. And Liberty gave them a lot of opportunities. Gave them a lot of opportunities. This was this was a fun game. I did have this game on in the background. Um, now, the question, of course, comes in, like, is Jim Moore Jr. going to end up taking another job? I don't know. He seems to like it up there. Like, I, why would you go somewhere else when you have built this thing from the ground up now? Like, this is this is awesome. And so I am uh, not surprised that UConn was able to get the win. Uh, maybe more just the way that it happened, I guess. Uh, you knew that this was a letdown spot for Liberty, and UConn being at home, they have just... They've been able to cover, et cetera. UConn scored 15 points in the fourth quarter here. Cheers to the Huskies for getting it done. Moving along, we got to talk about this. Let's talk about a coach maybe getting himself off the hot seat. Maybe. West Virginia, 23. Oklahoma, 20. And Neil Brown, let's look at these stats, ran nearly 20 more plays, ran 18 more plays than Oklahoma. Um, Oklahoma had zero turnovers. West Virginia had two. Oklahoma did outgain them by 20 yards, but West Virginia had more first downs. Um, This was interesting because neither team was great. Uh, Oklahoma had 12 tackles for loss in this game. They had two sacks, two quarterback hurries, and yet... You go over and you pull up the actual numbers. And West Virginia just found a way to get it done. Scored 10 fourth quarter points. Got the W. Just un- unbelievable to see this. West Virginia, uh, JT Daniels, of course, goes out. He was 7 of 12 for 65 yards with a pick. And they bring in the kid, Green, who ran the ball 14 times for 119 yards and two touchdowns. And he passed the ball 12 out of 22 for 138 yards and one touchdown. Dylan Gabriel somehow was shut down in this game. West Virginia's defense is not good, but I'm telling you, there is something to home field advantage this year. Morgantown is legit. Those fans, while it wasn't like a huge mass, it wasn't sold out, they were still loud. They were still there. They still caused a lot of havoc. Uh, Dylan Gabriel, 17 out of 28, 190 yards. Eric Gray. 25 carries for 211 yards rushing, two touchdowns here. They they were able to control the game, really, on the ground. But I, I kept turning over to this one and watching, and it just, like, it felt like Oklahoma should have been dominating the game, and yet West Virginia found a way to make enough plays to to win this thing. Like, it's still, it's still a little bit mind-blowing, when you look at, at how this thing actually went down, but Oklahoma only scoring 20 points on that West Virginia defense was shocking, to say the least. Just absolutely shocking. Um, you had a chance, Oklahoma did, late, and and they couldn't capitalize on it. And West Virginia gets the ball with 624 left, and goes on a 15-play, 65-yard drive that takes off the full, you know, clock amount, and they kick a field goal to win the game. I mean, this was this was crazy. Absolutely crazy. The Big 12 is nuts this year. Absolutely nuts. Uh, so Oklahoma is now 5-5. Five and five. West Virginia, we don't even have to talk about their record, but uh, does a win like this, even though it is a down Oklahoma, does this maybe... Does it help maybe keep Neil Brown around one more year? Like, are the fans okay with this? Like, I, I understand the buyout, but there was still a lot of talk about maybe maybe he was going to be gone. Um, I don't know. This was a weird one. This was this was very interesting to me, uh, just watching how it all how it all went down. Uh, but yeah, twelve tackles for loss for Oklahoma's defense. 
was surprising considering how much they actually gave up in the ballgame. Moving along, let's hit on one more, um, and then we got to do one more quick break, and then I'm going to just kind of rapid fire through some stuff. North Carolina 36, Wake Forest 34. Well, uh, (laughs) I said last week that I did not think that North Carolina should be an underdog, and and here you go. Uh, This defense is still really bad. Don't get me wrong. Wake Forest had the turnover, and I'm telling you, there is something going on with Sam Hartman. I don't know what it is, but they got down there inside the red zone, and... Sam Hartman with that fumble, like, I understand that it is defensive players making plays. I get this. But, man, Wake Forest used to not used to not do that. It, it was very strange to see this. North Carolina ran 15 more plays. Uh, they had nearly 100 more total yards. They had 30 first downs to only 23 for Wake Forest. Wake Forest had more yards per play. But you look at this, uh, there's there's... Anybody could have won this game, and this is basically what every North Carolina game has been so far this year. Uh, whoever has the ball last is probably going to win the game, right? I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to. Uh, and North Carolina was able to uh, look at, for all the points that were scored in this game in the fourth quarter. Uh, we had a field goal. North Carolina kicked a field goal that won the ball game. Like that, that's what we ended up having. And Sam Hartman had uh, one interception. Um, yeah, I mean, just just brutal. Just a brutal way to to not be able to get that thing done. I just, ah, just rough. Just rough when you when you really look at it. Um, I hope he gets right. I don't know what's going to happen there. Drake May was the uh, the story of the game. 19 carries, 71 yards. Uh, he, had, he was 31 out of 49 passing for 448 yards, three touchdowns. It, it is, I would say it's time to stop doubting North Carolina at this point because the offense is going to find a way to put up points. 11 receptions for Josh Downs for 154 yards and three touchdowns. He was an absolute beast. This offense under Phil Longo is awesome. The defense has dealt with a ton of injuries now, but they were bad before the injuries. So it's... I I don't know what the answer is for that, uh, but whoever is playing them... Better not stop themselves. You better take advantage of every opportunity to score because it don't matter how good your defense is. This Wake Forest defense has been pretty good. They've been okay under new defense coordinator Brad Lambert so far this year. And North Carolina ate them up. I mean, nearly 600 yards of total offense. And that was in Truist Field at Wake Forest. Like at Winston-Salem, is they, they were going to take advantage of being at home here. And yet, here we go. So very, very interesting to see this. Um, Wake Forest now, uh, I had an under 8.5 ticket that I, you know, after that Clemson game and the way that Wake Forest had started playing, I thought was uh, I thought was in serious, serious trouble. Don't think so. I don't think so now. Um, but yeah, cheers to North Carolina. They wrap up the ACC Coastal. They are, they are rock and rolling into the conference championship game. All right, on the backside, we are going to talk about Arizona and UCLA and what happened in the Rose Bowl last night. Good gracious. Let's check out some things you should let's check out some things you should know about. Follow the show on Twitter at Winning Cures. And you can follow Gary at Gary WCE. You can also follow on Facebook. Got your own podcast or web show? Looking to start one? Or you're just curious how we look and sound so good? Well, we've got all the gear that we use listed on our gear page on the website. If you order using our links, you'll be supporting the show, too. Subscribe on YouTube to get not only full Winning Cures Everything shows, but individual segments and other goodies as well. We're over 6,000 subscribers, and our goal by the end of the year is 7,500. If you're interested in advertising on a show that reaches over 80,000 unique football fans per month during the season, send an email to Gary at winningcureseverything.com and we'll put together a plan that best fits you or your business. And now, back to the show. All right, all right. Now, we got to run through. Hey, by the way, uh, if you guys want to enter the contest over at winningcureseverything.com, our picks contest, last week's winners were Lone Wolf 1415 and your boy 808. Um, both of them had the same tiebreaker score 
Uh, so cheers to him for that. But both went nine and two. I went six and five on mine. However, for the full season long stay update, the leaderboard there, I am number one. I'm seventy four and forty six against the spread this year uh, on this uh, on this actual pool thing. Um, and LDR Smith is right behind at sixty nine and fifty one. Scotty Boy is sixty six fifty four. Trist is sixty four and fifty six. So that's that's what we're looking for right there. 82 Atlantic jumps in and says, I thought 19.5 spread was too big in UCLA's favor. Well, here is, here's, okay, let's start this. Arizona 34, UCLA 28. Now, I don't have the actual stats pulled up and whatnot. I do have just the stats from the game. So we're going to look at that. UCLA ran 10 more plays. They had a turnover, which certainly hurt. Uh, 465 total yards to Arizona's 436. Uh, Arizona 6.7 yards per play to 6.2. UCLA nearly 6 yards per rush. Uh, Arizona ran the ball 36 times and had, you know, some success with it. It was actually able to to at least keep UCLA at bay. Uh, Arizona 10.8 yards per pass. Jacob Cowing and and that bunch that they've got are explosive. Explosive. And here is the issue. Arizona, their offense has always been capable of doing this, but they pick and choose times to disappear, right? I think that's the biggest issue is you never know what you're going to get. But the the issue that we had here was Arizona's defense actually came to play in this one. They had seven tackles for loss, four sacks. They had three quarterback hurries. Um, they, they, were, they were good. Like, it, this obviously, they're not great, but this was a, a pretty good football team, and I was uh, shocked, I guess I would say, uh, at, at what was able to, to happen here. I mean, this was not what was supposed to go down. UCLA was a 19.5-point favorite, as 82 Atlantic brought up here, but I, my numbers had UCLA by like 27. Like Now, I will, I will tell you this. It was a bit of a look-ahead spot. You still have to go out and win the ball game, and UCLA with this—I mean, it just absolutely uh, throws a wrench into everything. Here, got the stats pulled up now. You can actually see what we're what we're looking at. Okay, so Jaden Delora, twenty-two out of twenty-eight, three hundred fifteen yards, two touchdowns. You had Wiley uh, with twenty-one carries for ninety-seven yards and one touchdown. Uh, Jacob Cowing, nine receptions, one hundred eighteen yards. Um, but he was not who caught the touchdown passes. Like this, Zach Charbonnet ran the ball nine times for 38 yards. I know that he's apparently coming off of an injury or something, but this is not supposed to happen. And now with Oregon losing to Washington and UCLA losing to Arizona, this takes a lot of the luster off of what was supposed to be a huge Pac-12 weekend because you still have Utah going to Oregon next week and you've got UCLA and USC playing this next week. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll hit that question here in a second. Uh, this was, this was so strange because Arizona won the game, you know, at the end of the ball game. Like it, it was, it was certainly, it was certainly weird <coughs> because they, they put up 13 points in the fourth quarter. Uh, they didn't score any in the third quarter. It looked like UCLA was going to take back control of this ball game. Even after being down, uh, 21 to 14 at the half, uh, they were tied at the end of the third quarter, at only 21, which, by the way, the total in this game was 78. And and we had a 34-28 to 28 ball game. Like, this is not what was supposed to go down. And yet, here we are. Uh, I don't know what the Pac-12 is going to look like now. I don't think UCLA is technically eliminated from the Pac-12 championship game. And obviously, this loss does not dispel them from, um, you know, <laughs> it doesn't stop them from being able to beat USC and still getting to the Pac-12 title game, but I think it does certainly hurt the Pac-12's chances of getting a playoff participant at this point. Uh, Zach Charbonnet, by the way, he he had 24 carries for 181 yards rushing and three touchdowns, but he was the leading receiver for them. Nine catches for uh, 38 yards. Just crazy what we witnessed, that UCLA was not able to get it done, uh, you know, getting into the end zone. Like, 28 points is still, you know, decent. But, like, against that Arizona defense, I mean, teams have been putting up a ton of points on them. And it was always just a matter of whether or not the Arizona offense showed up. But here they are. 
here they are. All right, moving ahead, uh, let's uh, let's answer this question. 82 Atlantic says, what loss was worse, Kentucky losing to Vanderbilt or NC State losing to BC? Uh, the NC State loss, uh, by far, because they thought they had it figured out with their quarterback, and Boston College is awful. Vanderbilt has at least shown signs of life this year. Uh, Boston College has not. Boston College may not even have enough guys to really play a full offensive line. They've had so many guys hurt. Um, they swapped quarterbacks. This was not even Phil Dracovich. Uh, that was, it was bad for NC State. Just bad. Just bad. That was actually the next game that I was going to hit on. Uh, and we're, we're about to rapid fire through some of this stuff. But let me, let me go on and pull it up here. Vandy 24 to 21 over Kentucky. Vandy ran 65 plays to 53. Vandy lost the turnover battle 2 to 1. Uh, they outgained Kentucky by, let's see, 126 yards. 448 to 322. 18 first downs, only 16 for I mean, this was Kentucky should have lost this game. It shouldn't have been this close. Like Vanderbilt kind of dominated it. On the road in Lexington. Cheers to the Commodores for getting this thing done. Uh, passing down success rate was heavily in favor of Vanderbilt. Um, this was this was crazy. This was crazy to see. I, I was I, I would say that I'm shocked. I, I'm not super shocked. Um, but this was this was great for Vanderbilt. Absolutely great for Vanderbilt. Uh, moving along from there, Notre Dame 35. And Navy, 32. Notre Dame was up big in this one. And they let Navy crawl back into it. In the second half of this game, we, we, had, a, we had an issue, right? Uh, because Notre Dame was not able to do really anything. Here, I'm going to pull it up on the screen here so that you can actually see. Uh, so one, here's the stats on this one. Uh, but two, when you look at what went down in the second half, here's the second half drives for Notre Dame. Three plays, negative six yards. Three plays, four yards, and an interception. Six plays, negative one yards. Three plays, eight yards. Three plays, one yard. And then two plays, negative four. Yeah, they did all their scoring in the first half, came out in the second half, took the foot off the gas, and it almost cost them. Almost cost them. Navy was right there with them. Putting up points, etc. Three three and outs for Notre Dame is not as many as Navy had, which is four. But uh, both teams had points off turnovers, etc. Like, a little bit surprising that this went down. But it's also a huge letdown spot for Notre Dame. They were on the road. Like, yeah, is what it is. Hey, Scotty jumps in and said, maybe John Calipari was right about Kentucky being a basketball school. Uh, maybe. Uh, look, Kentucky... Still got a great coaching staff. Like, let's let's not get it twisted. Um, it was just, Vanderbilt was just better on the day. Bottom line. Last game I wanted to hit on Kansas State 31, Baylor 3. Let's pull up some stats on that thing. Oh, boy. Will Howard ate them up in this game. Didn't have to run the ball either. 19 out of 27 passing, 196 yards, three touchdowns. Adrian Martinez was in there. Uh, for just a little bit, 7 of 8 passing for 25 yards, which ain't great, but regardless. Uh, Deuce Vaughn, 25 carries, 106 yards. It, this was not what was supposed to happen, I think. I don't believe Baylor wanted to get into a situation where Blake Shapin had to throw the ball 38 times and they were only able to run it 23. That's not the way that Baylor is going to win football games. So, I... Look, Baylor had two turnovers. Um, they were outgained by 100 yards. Like, this this thing got ugly in the second quarter, and then it just got worse. Like, they had no answer for what Deuce Vaughn was, was doing. Eight catches, by the way, 50 yards, another touchdown there. Um, Giddens had 13 carries for 58 yards. Like, Kansas State could do anything that they wanted to. If you look at the, if you look at the stats on it, they had a 50% success rate a 53% standard down success rate, which is exactly what Baylor had. But even on passing downs, with Will Howard at quarterback, 43% passing down success rate to only 17% for Baylor. Once these teams got behind the sticks a little bit, Kansas State had a ton more success than Baylor did. 
Uh, Baylor still, defensive performance was okay. Four tackles for loss, one sack, four quarterback hurries. It did not phase Kansas State at all. Didn't phase them at all. Um, the two turnovers for Baylor did lead to seven points for Kansas State, but at the bottom at the bottom of uh, the game, like it, this was just Kansas State is a better football team right now. Just a better football team. Yard, better yards per play, more total yards, more first downs, 10 more first downs. I mean, this was this is kind of a beating. Kind of a beating. Uh, moving through, let's see, the SEC stuff. Uh, we're not going to spend a ton of time on these. Um, I, you know, I don't even have it pulled up anyway. We, we'll talk more about it on, on Monday's show if there's any more games that we need to hit on, et cetera. Uh, but this was a fun weekend. Just a, a fun weekend of football. We only got two more regular season weeks left. And then we've got our conference championship week. And then, of course, we move into bowl season uh, after Army-Navy. Of course, that next week with the Heisman Trophy, all that kind of stuff. So, still a long way to go with this college football season. But it is winding down. I will tell you that. I will, I will look forward to getting a little more sleep once we're done with this thing. But I kind of don't want to see it go. I really don't. All right, you guys have been absolutely fantastic. Go and check out the Valtimary Surf Company. There's a link in the description for that. Go and check out BetUS. It's America's premier online sports book. They are, in fact, where the game begins. So go and check them out, BetUS.com. I host the BetUS College Football Show every Tuesday and Wednesday. Again, there is a link in the description for that. It's every Tuesday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. And, of course, I'm right back here again on Monday. So when he cures everything, we do Sunday, Monday, uh, Wednesday and Thursday shows. So make sure that you are back here. Uh, Scotty jumped in. Wanted to thank you for the Florida State pick, but not so much for this. Hey, that San Jose State situation. Hey, go look at my Twitter page. It's at GaryWCE. San Diego State scored the most points that they have scored in a ball game since 2017 in the regular season. That was absurd. That was absolutely absurd. Uh, so, yeah, we're way off on the San Jose State pick. But the Florida State pick, dead on. Dead on. All right, let's get out of here. Let's do this thing. You guys have been fantastic. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. And hopefully, hopefully, all of your tickets cash this week. Thanks for listening to Winning Cures Everything. Make sure and subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. And make sure to leave a nice five-star review. You can follow Gary on Twitter, at GaryWCE. And the show is at Winning Cures. Be sure to check out the merch in our web store and share the show.